done it. Now Caruso runs a break. Caldwell Pope goes to the wing here. Play at the defensive end, got blown by back. Oh, oh yes! Hook jam! Hard step back, puts up the three, got hit, shots good! And one! What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Ken K. Howard. I'm here for another episode of, uh, Trey Ball, uh, I didn't mean to cuss right there, but hey, we're here, um, another week, uh, week two of the playoffs have recently just taken place as I'm recording this, uh, we're in the midst of week three right now, it's actually a game that's going on, that's about to go on, uh, at 5.30, I'm recording this on Tuesday at 4.48, uh, what is it, September 1st, so, I mean, with that being said, you know, Let's get straight into these topics. Uh, I want to start talking about um, how last week kind of transpired. Uh, the basketball week was kind of cut in half a little bit um, as the players boycotted the games in the wake of Jacob Blake's shooting. Uh, if you didn't see, I posted a podcast and a video of me discussing that matter and talking about Black Lives Matter as a whole. Um, last Wednesday, uh, led by the Bucks, the players, the NBA, started to boycott the games and support of Jake Blake and to bring a message and more awareness to the situation itself and to the Black Lives Matter movement in order to get some change going on. Uh, this was a big impact. This was a big deal on not only just the NBA, but the sports world, because after the Bucks did this, a lot of teams in NBA follows, or the rest of the teams that were playing the day and the day after follow suit. Um, and even different leagues started to do the same thing. Uh, you had MLB players canceling games or postponing games, I should say. Uh, I believe one game too, uh, the, I think it was the A's and the Dodgers, they just put out their jerseys and they put they put out the 42 jersey for Jackie Robinson. Uh, and they also, I think it was birthday two at the time, and they also put the Black Lives Matter shirt on the home base and they postponed the game. Um, also, soccer games was canceled too. Uh, because of this so this had a huge impact on not just the NBA but the sports world and to bring awareness to this movement even more than what many uh, leagues like the NBA have been doing uh, to bring like I said awareness to the Black Lives Matter which I think was pretty good and pretty impactful uh, for them to do that and put a halt on the NBA games because that was one big fear of what the NBA players was talking about uh, they was going to resume play I know that was led by Kyrie Irving uh, who isn't in the bubble but talking about that if they went forward with this how this change um, the viewing of the Black Lives Matter movement and what's going on in the world right now in terms of or in this country I should say in terms of racism being at an all-time high uh, and I think the NBA did a good job of responding to this. Granted, uh, the Bucks went out on a limb and didn't really tell anybody about this, which led to some frustration uh, within some players in the league, specifically LeBron James, um, who was very frustrated about the manner in which they went about um, going on their own and deciding to not show up for the game. Because if you remember, uh, the Bucks, like I said, they were the first team to do this, but they didn't discuss doing this with anybody else. Not even with the Magic, and the Magic was on the court waiting for them to come out to play. And the Bucks didn't even show up. 
And as we start seeing things uncovering and uh, the Bucks talk about this, they even had their own discussion within the locker room about whether or not they should do this because the Jacob Blake shooting took place in Kenosha, Washington, which is 45 minutes away from Milwaukee. So this kind of hit home to them, especially with Sterling Brown, who's on the team, who actually experienced police brutality not too long ago. I think it was in 2018. So this hit a little bit different to them, and they had that internal discussion and ultimately led to them not even showing up for the game. Um, and LeBron James, he walked out of the, the meeting that the players had that night uh, because he supported the Bucks. Uh, he supported the boycott, but there was no plan. Uh, James' actions and outcomes matters. He said, yeah, for James, the actions and outcomes matter the most. Otherwise, why do this? This, this all came from shams, uh, by the way. Uh, he, be- he became comfortable to play once NBA, MBPA mapped out purpose and plan. So that was a big issue uh, because I, I see a lot of people also talk about this. Okay, y'all boycott this game, but how many how many more games are going to be boycotted? This went on all the way until Saturday when they resumed play. Uh, it, it, it was a good question that was brought up because Okay, this this is a good thing that we're boycotting and bringing awareness to the situation, but think about the impact this can have on everyone here who put together this bubble and made this happen. And the owners who worked together with the MBPA, Michelle Roberts and Chris Paul on them to make the bubble happen and for them to be still, for the owners financially able and for the players to still receive their money because if they would have kept continuing this boycott, you would have seen some repercussions uh, coming down from the owners and cutting possibly 25% of the player's salary going into 2021 next season and the bargain for their agreement for um, the next contract they had would have been compromised because it is. So ultimately, they was able to fix this and resolve this. Like I said, play resumed on Saturday. Um, but another thing that came out from this, I seen Stephen A. Smith talk about this on first take. It was actually the first time I heard somebody even mention this, was that... Some of the players were unhappy in the way that James presented himself in the meeting. Um, as I said, he was already upset in which the manner the team, uh, or the Bucks, I should say, decided to go ahead on their own and take a stand and boycott the games. But other players was upset because of the way, because from what I from what I seen, he talked in the last 15 minutes and he was talking as if. I got to take care of the guys beneath me. The guys beneath me, beneath me. Keep repeating that statement. And a lot of guys was turned off by that fact because they like, what do you mean the guys beneath you? Like basically he was seeing like, ah, I'm the, I'm the leader. You know, I'm the papa. You know, I'm going. I need to take care of them and stuff like that. And basically talking about how he already got his, and that's why he walked out of me because he's very frustrated and took uh, some players to meet up with LeBron after the meeting to kind of calm him down and bring him back to bring him back down and realize what's going on. So that was very interesting because, um, you know, a lot of people in the media, there is always talks about like LeBron being this control freak or like this kind of a, you know, drama queen, you know, a little bit. And this, I think this is, this is probably the first report we've seen of LeBron James being looked upon in negative light and how he's handling the situation. Because if you look at LeBron James' career, there's really no blemish on anything he's done besides, I mean, I guess you can call it decision one. Um, but from him as a player and like his reputation, there really hasn't been anything negative said about this guy. So for this to come out, this was very intriguing because this is 
kind of goes to show what kind of what I always thought that he was, you know, a little control freaking, you know, felt like he's the Don of the league. Granted, he is the greatest player, the second greatest player of all time, and is the greatest player in the NBA right now. But still, you know, you got some good guys in that in that room that you talking to, and they 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 may be younger than you, old man Brown, but come on now, they, come on now, like this, stop it. But so I found that very interesting. So um, I like how the NBA, you know, going off that, I like how the NBA is continuing to step up uh, in social justice when it comes to these matters. You know, the NBA has been on the forefront of a lot of issues, you know, going back to the Donald Sterling situation when Adam Silver is one of the first things they have to take care of as commissioner and how they handle that situation and just racial matters, even with the I came brief shirts that they had. Uh, previously when Eric Garner and that situation happened in 2014. So they always be on the forefront of when that happened. But when is it going to be up to the rest of the nation to step up? Because we are seeing um, a recurrent thing right now where these athletes are sending messages. And I like how they're doing this because sports is kind of like the main media of America, especially given that, you know, a lot of production for TV shows and movies had to be halted. I mean, we're seeing them return right now, but was halted because of this pandemic that we're going through with the coronavirus. So the sports world is all has always been like, I guess, oh shoot, the main media of what everybody consumed. Cause like me, myself, I ain't gonna lie. Like, until basketball got canceled, I wasn't taking this coronavirus too, a little bit too seriously. So, and I think majority, I don't, I don't wanna say majority, but a lot of people in the nation felt the same way because that's when you start seeing other leagues start to shut down. You start seeing more rules and regulations starting to come out about the about the virus and what cities and states start issuing uh, orders of like people staying inside and wearing masks, mandating that stuff. So not only me, not only did I feel that way, but a lot of people in the in the world felt that way too. So it just when is it going to come? When when is it going to come from people other than the athletes themselves for people just to stand up for what's going on the social injustice? There's people vacuuming above me if you can hear that. But when is it going to come for people to other people to stand up for the social injustice going on besides just the athletes themselves? So. Uh, as the league resumed, the lot it was commitments that was made from the NBA and NBPA to resume playoffs. So what they decided to do was to establish a social justice coalition featuring reps from players, coaches, and governors, uh, convert team arenas into voting locations for 2020 general election, uh, and they also create more advertising spots in playoff games that promote civic engagement in local and national elections. So I thought it was pretty... That was a pretty good thing for the NBA and NBPA to agree on in order to continue the playoffs and to still spread the message of what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and with the social injustice and racism going on in this country. I think they did a great job of handling that because, like I said, it's great for them to take a stand and to boycott what's going on and to bring awareness to it, but also it's important for them to look after themselves and make sure they don't lose anything financially because of this. And also for me, you know, I, I don't want to be selfish. Like, I I want them to play basketball, especially they're in the midst of the playoffs right now. And there was a lot of work that went into them making this bubble even a thing and make it happen. So it, it would be it would be a terrible thing to see this all go to waste. 
and I appreciate that they are still able to continue this and still bring awareness to the social injustice going on. But with that being said, you know, let's get into the actual playoffs. So I'm gonna take out my hoodie real quick. It's a little bit in shame, but uh, my paces. Oh, God. So as I predicted, we got swept out of the first round. I knew this was gonna happen. Um, we was already a you know crippled team. It's a bonus. Our All Star wasn't there. Uh, Oladipo was playing uh, a little bit hurt as well, and we wasn't clicking on all cylinders. But we lost to the Heat. Of course, we got swept. But I, I wasn't. I'm not gonna really focus on that series itself. I want to talk about what came of that. Um, literally two weeks after receiving a coach in an uh, extension. The Pacers decided to fire Coach Nate McMillan. Now, when I saw this news, I was very upset about this uh, because, I mean, if, if the reason why they chose to fire him, given, like I said, it was two weeks after they gave him an extension, the reason why they chose to fire him was because of the playoff performance that they had. I wouldn't say you can necessarily blame him for this. Like, this is not his fault. Because one thing I would give, I would give Coach Nate McMillan uh, his credit. He's a phenomenal coach. And for the past four seasons that he has been in Indiana as the head coach, uh, minus the season with Paul George there, the three seasons after that, he has made the best of the situation that he has been dealt with, with the players that he has been given. Victor Oladipo turned to a star underneath his coaching. Uh, Sabonis turned into an all-star too as well. And they have succeeded everybody's expectations like if you remember last if you remember last season when Oladipo went down against the Raptors many pegged the paces to not even make the playoffs and yet they finished fourth in the east still last year and they made the playoffs this year with Oladipo being gone majority of the season and with a complete change of the roster too with different people coming off the bench as well so it and like I oh I can I was very say like the regular season his percentage was 57% hit a 57% win percentage and versus the playoffs. So that's why I said if they fire him based off the playoff performance, I don't see it as fair given the talent that he had because his playoff percentage wins is only 60%, uh, going three for 16 in the playoffs. Um, and he's been the running for coach of the year these past three seasons as well. Like I said, given the team that he's been able to get with. So I don't see this as fair for him to do this or for the Pacers to go ahead and fire Coach McMillan. I think he's a phenomenal coach. And as there is to be a head coach somewhere, my suggestion, he could probably go to Philly and be a head coach for them. Or New Orleans. That'd be a good spot for him to go, you know, with those young players. He can, gal- he can galvanize all of them together and play well with them or get them to play well, I should say. But one of the reasons that... Um, I read the little press release that they had for um, releasing or firing Nathan Miller for the coaches that they wanted to bring in a coach who can kind of set up culture. One people, one of the coaches they are eyeing is Mike D'Antoni. Now, that's something I'm intrigued by because as I, last time I remember checking the league three point percentage, I think the Indiana Pacers ranked one of the lowest teams in three point percentages um, in the entire league, if not the lowest three point percentage in the league. So with D'Antoni, who's playing in this system right now with the Houston Rockets of literally seven seconds or less, small ball, five out. I don't know how that would translate if he was to bring that system into Indiana. Obviously, he'll probably do something different because we got big guys like Sabonis and Miles Turner, which I probably think they'll trade. Um, I don't know how that system will work. I don't know if he'll be necessarily a good fit. And I don't even myself, like, given 
Hopefully, I'm going to talk about this later too. Hopefully, the Rockets get past the first round. I don't see D'Antoni leaving Houston, especially with the success of the small ball uh, lineup that took place in the later half of the season. Um, a good replacement for him? I, I I don't even know. I don't even know who, who they would bring in to replace uh, Coach McMillan. Mark Jackson, a former Indiana Pacer, and a guy that, you know, built the culture in the Golden State Warriors. That could be a good guy that they could bring in to coach. You know, he's currently a commentator uh, for the ESPN right now for their basketball games, and there's always been rumors of him trying to come back as an NBA coach. And there are also heard things that that uh, they said they kind of blackball him from being a coach because of his religious belief and how he pushes Christianity on his players. I'm not too sure of that, but that would be that would be interesting. You know, he hasn't like I said, he hasn't any ties. Um, that would be good for them. I don't know who else they would bring in to replace him. Because, like I say, he was already, like, Nemi Miller was already a phenomenal coach. It's just that with players, which I'm actually about to get into right now, that becomes a concern. Because there's also rumors that I've seen of Victor Oladipo not wanting to resign with the Pacers once his contract is up. I think he'll be a free agent this season, if I'm not mistaken. If not this season, then the next. Which will be a pretty big blow for Indiana because Indiana, Indiana, yeah. I was Indiana than Indianapolis, so I got tongue tied right there. Indiana hasn't been a hot destination spot for free agents, uh, not least big time talented players. If you remember, Victor Depot, Victor Depot was traded there. Uh, Sabonis was drafted. He was traded there too with uh, Victor Depot for Paul George. Uh, Miles Turner was drafted. They got Malcolm Brogdon and signed a trade deal from the Bucks. Um, so it it, it it makes you TJ Warren was also traded there for cash considerations too. So I don't know where this will lie because then it'll be another all-star that Indiana loses out on. And granted, we had we got a good pick right now in Aaron Hall that who played good this year, uh, especially with an increasing uh, role that he had playing well alongside his brother Justin. But if they are if we are to lose with the old depot and I just don't get. I don't think it'd be a good look for us. I don't know who's going to be there to replace his, his place of spot, uh, especially considering that Jeremy Lamb he went out with uh, an ACL or MCL injury earlier this year and put him out for a while. So it, I hope he doesn't leave, and I hope he comes back 100. percent You know, come, come back big. You know, work, work, patch things out. I hope that the fire Nick Millen didn't make the situation worse because Nick Millen is a phenomenal coach, loved by his players as well. Um, I don't know. I hope that doesn't happen. So, as I talked about the Heat, you know, as they swept my paces and I put my hoodie back on, we talk about the series that's going on now. Actually, no, they don't play that. They played last night. Let's talk about the series, because I'm not even going to talk about the Bucks and Magic series. There's nothing to talk about there. The, the series they have with the Bucks, which is what something that many, including myself, have been excited and wanted to see. Get this hoodie on. Ah, there we go. Has been excited to see it. Last night, it was a game. A, a back and forth game uh, that was between the Heat and the Bucks. It was ultimately win, won by the Heat, uh, 115 to 104 behind Jimmy Butler's 40 points. And man, in the fourth quarter, Jimmy Butler went off. I mean, whoo! I was excited. I, I was like, you get him, Jimmy. I was, he was playing phenomenal in the fourth quarter, and that was one thing that a lot of people pointed to as to a reason why that he could possibly upset the Bucks is because of their heart. Now, as, as I stated before in the last episode, the Heat, 
I said two times, but I forgot about when they played each other in the bubble. The Heat are the only team to beat the Bucks three times this season. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, they're smaller. They're not going to be able to defend. They've been able to defend these guys pretty well, um, even defending Giannis. Even though Giannis went, uh, what do you go for? He went 6 for 12 last night, uh, having only 18 points and 10 rebounds and 9 assists. Uh, they held him down considering, like, compared to his last series where he averaged over, like, 30 points and he had, like, what, like, 12, 13, re- average 13 rebounds a game. They played very very well. They played very well defensively and they had a great heart. Goran Dragic played well as, as as well with 27 points. As Kendrick Nunn, who I didn't see much of last series, he started, he started to play this series. Uh, he only had six points in 16 minutes, uh, shooting three from nine from the field. Didn't look too good out there from what I've seen. When I was watching him play, wasn't too impressed. But Goran Dragic taking over that starting point guard role has been very effective. Him and Jimmy Butler has been playing well together. Bam had 12 points with 17 rebounds as well. Tyler Hero had 11 points, had a big shot in the fourth quarter uh, from the three-pointer. Uh, throughout that run, that Jimmy Butler was going on by himself, just literally scoring at will, whatever he wanted. I'm talking about pull up three, stealing the ball half court, taking it to get the foul, and then pulling up from a mid-range jumper in front of two defenders from the from the right side. He was he was going in and he was playing hard and I enjoyed every minute of it. That's something we can look forward to from Jimmy Butler in the Heat, hopefully throughout this series. Because um, even last night, Duncan Robinson, who's one of their sharpshooters, didn't even have that much of an effective game. He only had he only shot one for four uh, last night. And like I said, Drogic's still playing good. Bam only had 12, usually brings a little bit more points than that. And Iggy and Jay Crowder didn't, didn't contribute as much, but they were still there contributing at least a little bit. So if you see an increase of usage from those players and more points and more effectiveness from them, that could be big trouble for the Bucks. But what can the Bucks do in order to turn the series around and ultimately win? Well, like I said, you need more production from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, granted, he did go 50% from the field, but those 12 attempts... Uh, only having 18 points. Granny almost had a triple double. It's just that's not the Giannis we know of 2020 MVP candidate. That sounds like a Giannis from three years, three or four years ago that wasn't you know doing what he's doing right now. So you obviously need more input from Giannis on the Kumpo. Uh, Blesso, who was injured, they kind of could have used him last night to increase the space or, or the pace of the game that was going on between them because the heat where they was playing fast, the Bucks could not keep up with that. George Hill, being, he is a good point guard, not as fast uh, as a Bledsoe, and kind of could keep up the pace with that team. Um, Middleton. Shot well tonight. Milton and Lopez played good last night, but it wasn't enough for the Bucks. Obviously, you, you need the whole team to shoot on all cylinders. And Giannis, like I said, most importantly, to be that effective guy. Uh, Milton shot 50% from the field, finishing with 28 points. And Brooke Lopez finished with 24 points and actually shot 67.7% from three, which is better because he has, he has been having a bad three-point shooting uh, season. Uh, and one big thing, or two big things that I noticed too, uh, from looking at the box score and watching the game that the Heat or the Bucks uh, did terrible on, especially Giannis, is the free throw line. Terrible, terrible shooting percentage from the free throw line. Uh, they shot 14 for 26 from the free throw line. That's a lot of free throws missed. Crucial free throws that need that could have been made to 
even up the score, if not bring them close to even beat and compete with these guys at the Heat. Uh, Giannis got to convert on those free throws. That's been one little knock on his game throughout the years is his free throw shooting. And last night, it showed. Uh, he was not converting free throws that they needed to make them win and score. It's... <sighs> That they they need they need a better they need better free throw percentage and they also was getting out rebounded, like they they had thirty four rebounds total as a team compared to Miami Heat's forty six. Now if you remember what I said earlier talking about the size of the Heat's team, you would think ideally with the Bucks being a bigger team, having Brook Lopez down there, having Giannis under the Kumpo, having them, you would think ideally that these guys would be able to be re- out rebounding the Heat, but. That wasn't the case. Like I said, Bam Adebayo pulled in the 17 rebounds himself, and he's only six nine. And a lot, a lot of the team, like I said, Butler's pulling rebounds as well. Um, like I said, that team plays with heart. So Bucks got to get on the board, box out these people, and be able to crash the boards and get these rebounds because they can kill on the offensive and defensive boards both sides. So the Bucks needs to bring. That extra level we need to put the gas, put the foot on the gas with this, especially Giannis Antetokounmpo, because he is the key. And many picked this team to come out the East, but the way they played last night with Giannis's production and their shooting from the free throw line, it doesn't like this team is going to be the one from out the East. It might be the Miami Heat beating them and ultimately meeting the winner of the Celtics and Toronto series. Let's talk about the next series uh, that ended on Saturday when NBA returned uh, the Lakers uh, in Portland. Um, so the, the writing was I don't want to say I mean yeah kind of the writing was kind of on the wall once Dame literally uh, left the bubble to go get his knee checked out in Portland uh, Dame who's been the guy that's been driving the Portland Trailblazers into the playoffs excuse me and in the playoffs the first couple games but once he left you know people was like okay the Lakers gonna win this but to Portland's credit, they actually had a good showing without Dame Lillard. Uh, CJ McCollum pulled in 37 points behind Melo's 27. Um, and the team was just playing well. Nurkic pulled in 16 points with 10 rebounds as well. Um, they, they play well. Gary Trent with 11. Anthony Simons with, uh, I mean, Gary Trent with 13. Anthony Simons with uh, 11. They played very, very well without Dame Lillard being there. They was actually going neck and neck until the very fourth quarter where the Lakers was just unleashing it on them. I mean, LeBron James pulled in 30-point triple-double, uh, 30, 10, and 10. And AD had 43 points with nine rebounds and I think six assists or three assists to be exact. Um, and it, it, it leads you to believe, you know, the Lakers, well, I'm going to get to that. But the Lakers, like I said, they they was just too much for the Trailblazers in that fourth quarter. Because granted, there were these periods of time when Melo was just going off, keeping these guys in the game. I mean, he was going off. He was playing very well and trying to keep these guys on the game. Uh, but in that fourth quarter, when they started missing shots and the Lakers was coming down in transition, which is one of their best things, they was one of the best things that they do, it just became very difficult for Trailblazers to stop them on that run. Um, like I said, with Melo playing very well, it leads you to wonder, will he be on Will he be on a team next season? Will he be on the Trailblazers next season? He already came out and stated that he would like to return to Portland and play. I think he'd be a good fit with them because I, I remember talking about this years, was like two or three years ago when Melo, when he was about to leave New York, actually, um, that Portland would be a good spot for him. Now, him at age 36, 
He'll be going into 37 for next season. Will he still be a good player? From the showing that he gave us in the bubble and the playoffs, I think if he continues up that work and that like just style of play and can be consistent with Dame and CJ, I think he'd be a good fit on that team. Uh, anywhere else, you know, it could be a team you know that's, that's needing for a wing. But I think with Portland, I think he's built an identity. I think he got a lot of confidence. I think he's become familiar with that system. I think it'll be a good fit for him, and hopefully he's able to be resigned or on any team next season. Because like if Mel showed or proved anything in this bubble that he deserves, or in this season for that matter, that he deserves to be an NBA even at his age. Um, now back to the Lakers. Um, like I said, LeBron pulled in a 30-point triple-double and AD played phenomenal. But KCP, a guy that people talk about and, and crap on. <laughs> no, I didn't cuss that time. And crap on a lot. Uh, actually played good, too. Finished with 14 points. Hit some good three-pointers here and there for the team to win. Dwight Howard had 11 points. Uh, the rest of the team was scoring single digits. Um, you know, it it I look at these stats and I look at – I remember watching the game. It makes me wonder um, – with LeBron and AD doing all of this, just to beat a dameless Portland, how will they fare against... <laughs> I'm going to get into this. It's the next thing I'm going to talk about. I'm going to get... I hope that... How will they fare against a Houston Rockets team? Hopefully. If this is what they had to put on to beat a dameless Portland Trailblazers team, you know? Uh, I remember talking about earlier... Um, last episode, if that were not if that LeBron James needs to you know step it up a little bit, he was playing well in the series, but we that's not the LeBron James in the playoffs that we've been used to, at least in recent memory. You know, I'm if you go back to like the 2018 playoffs when he was there last time, he was putting on these incredible feats and like scoring tremendously. Now, granted, he didn't have well, he had Kevin, he had Kevin Love with him, but still, like it. I was, I was hoping that LeBron, and he pulled it out with this one, this 30-point triple-double with 30, 10, and 10, like I said. I was hoping that he's going to pull out this zero-dark 30 mode that he usually goes into. And it showed her in AD with 43 points. It was pr- very important. But is this what they're going to have to do to win every game? Because they did this against, like I said, a Davis Portland team. But how does fare against the Houston Rockets team who beat them, if I remember last time, um, I think the last time they played was the game. If I if I I could be wrong, but the game that uh, Houston implemented that small ball uh, lineup, all five out, and they beat the Lakers, which was a shock to me because the Lakers are so big. You know, they got all these bigs. They got Dwight, JaVale, AD, LeBron, Kuzma. How is the small Rockets going to beat them? And they beat them, and even now rebounded in that game. So if the if they are coming to face the Rockets, hopefully in the next round. That type of uh, output is probably going to be necessary every game. Because as I said, LeBron didn't really bring it to the beginning of the series. And it was only like as the games went on that his scoring input increased um, throughout that series. AD, he's been, he's been playing well throughout the series. I mean, he probably averaged over like he probably averaged over 30. He's been playing phenomenal um, besides that first game. But... I don't know. They're going to have to continue it if they want to beat the Rockets, which leads to my next topic, the Rockets and the Thunder Series. So I thought I was going to be coming to you all today talking about this series as if the Rockets already won in Game 6, but I'm not. 
there is there will be a game seven tomorrow. Um, the Thunder managed to even the series to make it a game seven, and this has been a physical series. Now that you know, the, the Cl- I said at first the Clippers and the Mavericks was probably my favorite series because Luka was going off. Uh, then I said it was the Nuggets and Jazz series, which probably became the most electric series because that series going to Game Seven, and the Mavericks and Clippers series ended off a little bit differently because Luka was hurt, KP went out with an injury, uh, so it kind of diminished that type of fire that was attached to that series. But this series, Rockets and Thunder, is it was coming very more interesting. You know, as the Rockets went up 2-0 against the Thunder early on in the se- uh, series, and then the Thunder came back and tied up the series 2-2. Uh, Rockets took game five, and now we had the Thunder taking game six behind Chris Paul's 28 points and incredible clutch performance in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I watched that whole sequence, you know. At first, I thought it was going to be in the Rockets' favor because before Chris Paul went on his run, he got a technical foul uh, for how he responded to a call. Uh, I think he, he got a foul call on... Uh, Got who it was, but he had a foul call and he didn't like, and he was very upset about it. So it led to Chris Paul. He started going on this run. He was like, "All right, I got this." And I remember I was watching him last night. He was taking the ball, sizing up Jeff Green, pulled up on the left side, mid range, easy. And he, he, said, I read his lips. He said he can't effing guard me, and he and he did it again. He did it the next play, shooting a three over him, and then another play. He came down, soft stuff. Roko, who was guarding him after that possession, and he hit a three in his face. And a lot of people they pointed to um, Russell Westbrook as the reason why uh, they lost, why the Rockets lost this game, and. Well, let me talk about it. So, before before the possession, everybody talked about where Russell Westbrook uh, committed a turnover in the last seven, eight seconds of the game. Uh, he hit a layup. It was kind of the same way he came down before he made his turnover. He ran down the court, bullet spat, you know, bullet fast speed, came down, hit a layup over Steven Adams and another defender, which I thought he was gonna miss at first, but he made it. So I think that was kind of his idea for the second for the second time. But he 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 drove down where there was a lot of people down in the paint. Saw people was coming, Chris Paul was coming off of PJ Tucker. And he tried to kick it out to Tucker and he threw it out of bounds. So that turnover, which was his seventh turnover of the game, even though he shot well from the floor. It cost the Rockets the game right there, but I don't want to. I don't want to completely blame him because you also got to throw into account that Chris Paul, like I said, he went off on his own little run on his own and brought the team and kept the Thunder in the game, uh, in the in that pivotal moment, and it showed to prove that why Chris Paul and the Thunder are leading the league in clutch victories um, within five minutes of the game. Or I think it's clutch points or whatever, uh, but they're the top, if not where they are, number one, and winning in pivotal moments like that. Because as we saw last night, of Chris Paul's leadership, um, what would a loss in the first round mean for the Rockets? You know, this is something I was thinking about last night uh, because my friends were getting on me because I am a, a Russell Westbrook fan. They was getting on me about Russell Westbrook and how he cost the game and what it would mean if they lost a series. You know, that's something I was thinking about. This will look bad. This this 
this will solidify that Russell Westbrook is just is, is not a, a winner and he just can't get out of the first round. But this will be his fourth year if he somehow loses this. Uh, and this will look bad on James Harden as well. And one of my friends, Isaiah, who's talking to me that James Harden should be hot about what happened last night because like myself, I thought James Harden was going to bring the ball to court uh, for that possession. He set the screen for Russell Westbrook before he made that drive, but obviously that play didn't work out how they envisioned it. Uh, according to Antonio, that's a play that they wanted to do and that they drew up. But this doesn't look good for James Harden either uh, because there's a lot of flack on him too for not being a winner in the playoffs. Now, granted, he did make it to uh, two Western Conference uh, Finals appearance. Well, was it two? I think, it, yeah, they, they made it two of them. They made it last year, uh, Portland did. The year before, 2018, they did. 2017, did they make the Western Conference Finals? I think they did. Uh, so, he has made it to the Western Conference Finals. He did, so he did, he did it twice. So, he made it to the Western Conference Finals. And now, it's, if he, they can't even get past the first round, this will look bad on Russell Westbrook. And I don't, I don't want that to be on his legacy. I don't because, as much as I admire Russell Westbrook for his tenacity and his drive, sometimes I just gotta, you know, I feel like sometimes he just wants it too much. Cause if last night proved it, you know, that he just has he threw away that turnover in a crucial moment, it's just you gotta have. Patience sometimes, you know, you just gotta have that patience. <laughs> Cause it obviously like <sighs> I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to talk about it and for it to come to life. I'm just hoping that the Rockets can pull it together and beat this Thunder team who's putting on a good series. Like I thought this series would be over in five. Uh but obviously Chris Paul, who has been proving everybody wrong this whole season, had different uh, answers or a different, he had a different solution. I don't, I don't know. He had he had different answer to what everybody was saying about him and the Thunder this year. So I hope I hope Russ and them can get it together. I hope they can, for their sake. So the next series I want to talk about. I kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, I didn't get to watch too much of the last game. Is the Clippers versus the Mavericks series? Uh, the Clippers beat the Mavericks uh, one eleven to ninety seven. You know, um, it was. Kind of, you know, the writing was kind of there. Um, what we saw last game, uh, Paul George put on a, a phenomenal performance after, you know, getting bullied on the internet and being decimated, or not being, but like being talked bad about by many for his first three game performances. Uh, he bounced back in game four, and uh, what was that game four? Or this is game six. So he bounced back in game four. Yeah, he bounced back and finally. He he had a good game, but last game he only had 15 points, shot six for 19 from the field. Uh, like I said, it was and Kawhi put a 30 again. Uh, it was kind of there. Kaluka, like I said, then with his ankle injury, KP's out with his injury, so it was kind of written that the Clippers was going to win this series. Uh, what does that mean? So one two takeaways I got from this: this is good for the Mavericks because uh, obviously with Luka. Him and his play, his playoff performance, his playoffs debut, put on a phenomenal show. If we go back to at game four, uh, where he hit that clutch. So that was game five, my fault. So at game four, where he hit that clutch shot to tie the series. Uh, 
that was pretty pivotal. And he had 40 points, triple-double, I think, that game as well. He had 40 points, I know for sure. Um, that was pretty cool. And, you know, that's a good showing for Luka Doncic going forward in the future because he's only, what, 21 years old? So if, if he's doing this already in his playoffs debut, the future is bright. But one concerning thing I did notice is about KP, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, and his injury. Because one thing that's kind of a knock on him um, is his injury. And going down in a crucial time like this in the playoffs where they could have needed him the most, um, I don't want to – I mean, that's kind of been a problem already early on in his early career already. Um, but hopefully, you know, this is not a, a recurring thing we see from Kristaps going forward in his future because that – that tandem of him and Luca is very dominant. I saw some stat that said like since coming to the bubble, they average like thirty apiece. So you obviously keep those two together, but you gotta be concerned if you are the Mavericks about KP's health. And hopefully he can stay healthy in order for this team to have great success in the future success in the future. Another takeaway I got from this series is couldn't Clippers stay in sync to advance to the finals, like I predicted, and had and other, and many others predicted themselves. Um, what I mean by saying this thing, uh, I mean by like playing cohesively. Because one knock on them is that they, I'm thinking, it was like what sixteen games that they played as a complete roster where everybody played, like nobody was hurt or nothing. Only sixteen games this season. It might have changed. Uh, I don't think Pat Bev has been out, but sixteen games that they all played. As a full roster. So, as I mean, in sync is the Clippers going to be able to pull it together. Is Paul George going to come out of this slump? I know he attributed uh, his slump days in due, due to mental issues that's been going on with him being inside the bubble. And I know it can be a little bit stressing on these players as they are in the bubble and away from their families. Uh, granted, now that they are allowed their families to come to the bubble and allow one guest per game as they advance to the second round, so hopefully that helps him. I'm not great saying it all. Suck it up, like that's just like I understand, Paul. Uh, so hopefully he can find something within himself, and hopefully his team can stay uplifting him in his inner circle so they can get past and make it to the finals, like how I predicted. Uh, but like I go back to what I'm saying about them playing the same. You got to worry about that Paul George factor. Uh, Pat Bev, can he come back from his injury and still contribute? Uh, are they all going to be able to figure out each other's role? Come on, Trez, is, he played. He didn't play as well when he came back from his injury in the beginning of the playoffs, but he started to get his feet wet and starting to get back into the Montrez that we know now. Uh, are they going to be able to continue this and play well? Because Kawhi, with his big-ass hand, has been the glue keeping this team together. And holding it down and keeping them in this playoffs, averaging over 30 this whole entire series, because he's been putting up 30-something every game. If he's going to be the glue to hold his team together, and they all, and the rest of the pieces on that team, like a Paul George, a Lou Will, Montrez, Pat Bev, Morris, they all got to come in, contribute, and they all got to stay in sync. I think that's one big thing that they need to do in order for them to go to the championship like many, like me, predicted them to be in. Um, another series I want to talk about is the Celtics and the Raptors. Now, I turned on this game while I was cleaning on the house, and from the very jump, the jump, Celtics were just in the Raptors' ass, just going at them. I mean, talking about they shot 44% from three against Toronto's 25, and they was just giving it to them. 
get just giving it to him the whole game. Like I don't even think the I don't, like I don't know besides like the early point of the game that the Raptors led at any point of the game. I don't think they did. I really don't because it was just the the Celtics was just firing on all cylinders. You know, Raptors couldn't get it together uh, and or gain a lead against the Celtics. Pascal Siakam had foul trouble. Uh, in the first half, he finished with four fouls, so that kind of like cut off his production. Once you get rid of him in the first half, and it just enabled the Celtics to just build their league and just continuously go on the the run that they did from three point line. Um, Lowry finished with 17 points, Van Vliet only had 11, and Pascal finished with 13. So with those three big guys not putting up as much points on and production as usual, especially Van Vliet, who since the finals of last year has been has become their pivotal scorer and clutch guy. He didn't put on a good performance against the Celtics in this series. And Kyle Lowry, who is who is good at going to the line and drawing fouls, when you have these Celtics, you know, playing great perimeter defense and, you know, spacing out the game, to which, you know, the Raptors is known for being a great defensive team. But they wasn't able to, like, stop the Celtics. And Kyle Lowry, like I said, who's known for going to the line, and the the way that the Celtics was playing, you know, prevented them, prevented him from going to the line and getting his points and to track all the fouls that he gets. So what what can Nick Nurse do, you know, like I said, for this team being a very defensive-minded team, what can Nick Nurse do to come up with to limit balls and three-point shooting? Because that's a big thing that this team is is – is good on with like Kimball Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Gordon Hayward whenever he returns. Um, Grant, who else they got? Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, Wanamaker. Uh, you know, you got these guys. I think OG Boy. Is OG Boy still there? I don't know. Uh, with these guys, you know, shooting these threes, how can Nick Nurse, like I said, who is a defensive-minded coach and this team known for their team defense and their team basketball, how? What can they do to come up to stop the, the Celtics' three-point onslaught? Because if there's anything like last series where they played uh, Philly, it's going to keep coming. If you won't stop it, it's going to keep coming. And they will run you out, and they will shoot and spray all day. Bang, bang. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But so let's let's talk about, as I said earlier, what has now become the most electric series. Get your popcorn out. I don't have any popcorn. I thought I was going to have some type of food prop or something to bring out with me. But get your popcorn out. This is the most electric series going on right now. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Nuggets and Jazz. This has been a thrill to watch. Um, oh, the Celtics Raptors, they actually playing right now as I'm speaking. Um, the next game that will come on after that is Game 7. Of this of this series right here, the Nuggets and Jazz, uh, from the from the very first game, where Donovan Mitchell had what fifty one points or fifty seven, and he put that against uh, Jamal Murray's thirty six. From the very first game, this game this series is already electric. You had these two going at it the whole entire series. So much so that in playoff history, these two are the most have the most combined points by opposing players over a three game span, combining for two hundred sixty seven points, and. You know, a lot of people had the Nuggets written off because um, they was down 3-1. They won the first game in overtime but lost the next three, uh, the, the games two and three being blowouts and game four being a close one. You know, a lot of people have had this team written off. I didn't. You know, I like the Nuggets. If you heard me talk on this show, you know that I am a Nuggets fan. I'm a fan of their team and their depth. 
Um, and you know what? I won't take his time to to apologize to Jamal Murray because last episode I said that they need a consistent score um, to step up for them in order for them to win. And, you know, one knock on Jamal Murray's game is his inconsistency because I've always been a big fan of him. You know, fellow Wildcat, uh, even though I am still a Louisville fan. Uh, I've been big on him, but he's been very consistent throughout uh, his seasons and with the Nuggets. So that was one thing that kind of like had me iffy, and that's why I kind of like leaned. I said, okay, Michael Porter Jr. could be that consistent scorer if Jamal Murray could be inconsistent. But for these last three games, and even for the series, because, you know, he had a good performance in game one, but not in two and three. But these last three games, you know, Jamal Murray is putting on a show. Let me, let, me, let, me give, let me give y'all these numbers right here. 50 points in game four. Game, yeah, game four. 50 points, five rebounds, six assists, 71% from the field. What? 42 points in game, in game five, eight rebounds, eight assists, 65% from the field. What? In game six, 50 points. 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 58% from the field. So, not only has he proven me wrong of being a consistent scorer, but he's doing it efficiently. Efficiently. And, oh, it's this. Like, I was watching him last game, and the heart and emotion, if you watched, you know, his post-game interview as he talked about why he's doing this and, you know, how he feels about, you know, what's going on with the social injustice that he got Breonna Taylor and George Floyd on his shoes. It, it's truly amazing. It's, it's, it's moments like this why I love basketball. Because you have this story going on with Jamal Murray and the Nuggets where they coming down from being 3-1. And, you know, Don Mitchell been putting on a show against them. Because even last game, Don Mitchell had 44 points. But that wasn't enough to stop the Nuggets and Jamal Murray, who's been putting on a clinic. And a lot of people have been getting on Quinn Snyder because... You letting Jamal Murray be this guy to beat you. I can understand one game. Like I said, first game he had 36 points. But he's putting up these numbers these past three games, and there's nothing being done. They, they still doing these one-on-one situations. It was only, what, the last couple minutes of the fourth quarter that they started to double Jamal Murray. But by that point, it was already over with. So as the Jazz, what you w- want to do is to try to stop Jamal Murray. I mean, but but here's the thing though. Here's one thing I was thinking about. That could be a tricky thing for them to do. Because as I pointed out, you know, as I said, I think Michael Porter Jr. would be that consistent scorer. Let's say you stop Jamal Murray, who's been a, a, a big lift for this team, as is why they tied it up and bring it to a game seven. What about the other guys on that team? Because that's one of the reasons why I like them so much is their depth. Let us not forget that they have Nikolai Jokic, MVP, uh, MVP candidate, on their team. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that they have Michael Porter Jr. on that team. Gary Harris, who returned, you know, helped that team defensively, um, which was I was, one of the guys in my last video, he commented that, that once he returned, they'll help them defensively. But he he's returned. You have him there, too. Jeremy Grant, who had a good game last game as well. He comes, you, you going to stop him, too? Like, they have all these guys on the team that can score. Granted, Jamal Murray has been their most pivotal and prominent scorers on that team has been scorching the Jazz like freaking the Dragon off Game of Thrones. I don't know the actual Dragon. I ain't watching, but I just seen the scene on Twitter. But just scorching them. So the Jazz have to do something to stop that. Because if you remember, I was talking about this last week, it, it seems like now that my view on this series has been flipped. Because where I was talking about what, what can the Nuggets do to stop Donovan Mitchell and how they need to stop this guy... 
I'm now asking the question, what can the Jazz do to stop Jamal Murray? And that's why I say this series is so electric because you have these two guys going at it and putting up these phenomenal scores and, you know, doing these plays that's just crazy and just fun to see. As a basketball fan, I'm just excited and I can't wait for game seven tonight. And hopefully, you know, the Nuggets pull it out and it'll be a better series for even for the Clippers. They'll make it a better basketball series. You know, even though I want the Clippers to make it to the West Conference Finals and ultimately the finals i think it'd be, it'd be better for basketball if we have the nuggets versus the clippers rather than the jazz because the jazz you know besides a few games here and there where jordan clarkson contributed or mike Conley contributed you know with his 27 points that one game when he went seven for eight from three donovan mitchell has just been that consistent score and he hasn't really been getting as much help especially not last game from the rest of his teammates it just seems like it's donovan mitchell and everybody else. Now, granted, you do have Rudy Gobert, who is an all-star and is a defensive player of the year candidate, but his scoring output is not his strong suit. It's his defense. So, what do you... And I... He... The defense don't mean nothing against Jokic either because I've seen multiple plays throughout the series with Jokic just gas the ball where they'll be in his face, triple threat, pull up, or he catches it and shoot with Rudy Gobert closing out and it means nothing to Jokic. So... You obviously need somebody to step up on their team to help and aid Jamal Murray. I'm not Jamal Murray, but Donovan Mitchell for the Nuggets to win this series. I, I don't know who it's going to be, but from the looks of it, especially the way Donovan left that last game, it's going to need to be somebody quickly because this this will not fare well with Donovan Mitchell, especially coming in from being up 3-1. That will make him feel a little bit jaded, especially before the bubble even took place. There was our rumors or there was discussions talking about like how the situation between him and Rudy Gobert wasn't as good. I wonder how this will affect um, his view on the team as well. Uh, not only just Rudy Gobert, but the team after this series if they lose or when they lose. Um, Let's end the show on a good note. Uh, talk about Brandon Ingram, who has been awarded the most improved player of the year. Now, uh, this is somebody who I figured was going to win this award, either him or Bam Adebayo, but more importantly him, considering that his output that he had on the team uh, with New Orleans Pelicans, uh, going from his first three seasons and only averaging 13.9 to this season averaging 23.8. That's a 10-point increase. Like, what? Come on now. Almost 11. Um, his three-point percentage has improved uh, from 33 to now 39%. Uh, 66. This was this was crazy too. I I didn't realize this. I didn't realize he was a bad free throw shooter, and his free throw shooting got better. You know, maybe you know Giannis Antetokounmpo can take some lessons from whoever teaching Brandon Ingram how to shoot free throws. Um, <laughs> but his free throw percentage from his first three seasons in LA was sixty six percent compared to his free throw percentage now eighty five percent. He averaged more rebounds. He had more thirty point games a season. Um, he's also an all star for that team. Um, very well deserved. Uh, people uh, picked him to be the next KD. They also say that about Michael Porter Jr. Uh, but he's well deserving this award. Uh, and I think with him and Zion, I think it'll be a very good tandem. Uh, figuring out whoever their coach is, figuring out how, how those two can play well with each other. Um, I think well, it shouldn't be hard to do. Uh, I noticed a little bit when Zion returned that his touch, that Ingram's touch is kind of lessened. So figuring out that balance of, of the two, how they're going to fare, especially with like Alonzo Ball on a team who's willing to dish out the ball anytime. I think that'll be a good fit for all three of them down in New Orleans. Um, so whoever is the coach, that's going to be a good coaching gig for them, just coaching those young guys and coaching a guy like Brandon Ingram, um, who is showing that he is going to be a better and bigger player in this league. Uh, 
So, congratulations to Brandon Ingram for winning that Most Improved Player Award. And that's how we're going to show right here. That was, it seemed like it, that was a quick show. Been about almost an hour. But, yeah. Um, I'm going to give you, I, I know I've been giving y'all like a supper and cinnamon in a while. I was going to last again, but I was hanging out with, uh, with my nephew. Um, and the reason why I love, I hold out a little bit on supper and cinnamon is only because like, I only eat out on the weekends because of my health concerns, you know, trying to trying to stay fit, you know, trying to trying to trying to stay lean. But for you all, and because I want to watch a movie, and I haven't watched a movie in a while. I w- I'm gonna give it to you all very soon before I head out this weekend because I'm gonna be gone this weekend too. So I'm gonna give you all supper and cinema. I'm also give you all how you doing. I'm going, you know. Ask around for some people that wants to be on the show. If you all have any suggestions, feel free to, you know, ask me. Um, yeah. So that's how I'm going to end the show right here. So Rockets, get it together. Nuggets, let's get this together too. Uh, yeah. I always feel like I always just say the same thing when I end the show. I'm done. Peace out.